You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello there, I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Welcome to the show. Today I'm live at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival speaking with Hannah Gadsby, a brilliant act, a phenomenal joke writer, uh, and a very, very powerful comedian uh, performing a show here at the moment, which she's also taking to Edinburgh called Nanette. Um, I think there's a lot of buzz about this show. It's uh, it's an extraordinary piece of work. I'll tell you a bit more about it as we get into the interview. Um, we talk about some very sensitive subjects here, and uh, I think I had been uh, not warned exactly. People had said to me before this recording that I would have my work cut out for me with Hannah. Uh, I really enjoyed this interview. I'm very grateful to her and to Erin, her manager, for sorting this out. Um, so I think this, uh, this ended up a really fascinating conversation. I think it takes me a little bit of time to get into the swing of it at the beginning. And, uh, you will hear that happen as you, uh, as you listen on. But, um, if you're a, f- if you're the first few minutes in and you're finding it a slightly tricksy one, stick with it. I think she's an excellent comic and I'm really proud of this interview. So, uh, this is the wonderful Hannah Gansby. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome an absolute powerhouse among comedians. Give it up for Hannah Gadsby. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Hannah. uh, Pleasure. So far. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I suppose the most sensible point to start... Uh, in this quite unique conversation for me, uh, I've never spoken to a comedian before who is planning to give up. So maybe we should start with how much uh, with how much truth there is in that, whether that's a solid fact that you're definitely quitting, whether you've got a date in mind to stop performing, uh, or whether it's... Uh, I mean, I don't imagine it's a sort of a PR fluff the, idea. The, not, I mean, I just don't do that. Um, <laughs> There's several things going on there with that question. First of all, <laughs> setting a date. I have real trouble with my own diary and I don't understand. I miss a lot of planes, so no, I haven't set a fucking date. Um, <laughs> just like I'll fizzle out. You know, it's my style. I'll just oh, stop. Um, but your turn to phrase, your turning a phrase there was quitting and giving up. Um, I'm stopping. Um, you know, like quitting sort of suggests that I haven't reached somewhere that I want to be uh, and, and qu- you know, giving up. You know, like, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah, I'm pretty good. 
Um, I'm on a good trajectory. I'm going up. I'm stopping. There's my lift. <laughs> That's interesting. I hadn't noticed I'd done that because something on, on this show that I'm fond of saying is that people complete comedy. And I'm annoyed I didn't think to say it on this occasion, probably because I'm nervous because it's my first question. But uh, I think of people, when they stop comedy, I think of people as completing comedy in the sense that perhaps they've got what they wanted from comedy. I get the impression from what you said about comedy in the past and what I've read um, is that you perhaps haven't got what you want from comedy and that part of the reason that you're stopping is due to frustration. Can you talk to us about the, the reasons behind that decision? I, uh, no, I, I, uh, you know, I haven't put any pressure on comedy. I haven't laden it with my expectations. You know, I don't want to blame comedy for failing me. Um, <laughs> it's done the best it can. <laughs> You know, we're all human. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I just don't think it's... Um, it doesn't have a lot of... Where do you go, you know, after, after a joke? What, what, uh, what, what, it's not much you can do with a joke. You laugh and then that's it. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I just don't think it's very fulfilling. So it's not like I haven't got what I wanted out of it. I've done very well. Um, and I feel like I, I enjoy it to a point, but then also I don't flourish performing. You know, I don't get off stage and go, whoa, I want to do that again. I don't. I have to have a nap. I often go home and have a bath. I don't, you know. It took me a long time to work that out as well. I used to exhaust myself and have a nervous breakdown every festival. And then I thought, oh, if I don't, if I don't uh, mingle, I'm all right. Um, so it's just, which is not great. It's a festival, isn't it? You know, <laughs> I'm just like, oh. Um, so I just don't think I've cut out for it, to be honest. So I've got all I, I could get out of comedy. Comedy okay. hasn't let me down. We're just not a good match. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll come back to this in a bit, but it strikes me that for people who don't know who you are or the sort of thing that you do... Um, and I, It strikes I, I, me that they perhaps wouldn't care. Well, I think so if they're <laughs> listening to this, they definitely care. Oh, good. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. I think that's, I think that's fair to say. Thank you so for caring. for people who care but might be less aware of your work... Mm? Can you describe the sort of comedy you do or, or that you did? What kind of comic are you? I've got to finish the festival, so we're still doing it. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about it in the present tense then for yeah, the rest yeah. of the interview. Yeah, I've got to do Edinburgh. Um, so it's this talk of quitting. It's like, mm, we've got a long way to go. Um, uh, and I said quitting there. Gosh, what a hypocrite. I feel less bad now about me having accidentally no, said that in the beginning. don't feel less bad. <laughs> Um, what was the question? The question was, what kind of a comedian are you? Just, I mean, I, and I hate <laughs> oh, to yeah. put this to comics, but can no, you describe okay. yourself? Or what, what sorts of things are commonly said about your comedy? How are you described? What, what? Uh, Distractable. <laughs> um, <laughs> For I the benefit do, of the listener, yeah. a door just wobbled. Sorry. I, t- <laughs> I, d- I talk about my, my life and sort of... Um, Tell, tell stories, uh, a lot of woe. There's a lot of woe in my shows. Um, uh, and I had a, you know, I've had an interesting life uh, to do with circumstances and also the fact that I um, have an interesting decision-making process, um, which isn't at all a decision-making process. <laughs> what I do is uh, post-event justification, and that's pretty much what my shows go. I did this thing, and I think this is why. Um, so uh, I talk, yeah, so it's, and I talk a lot about mental illness because, um, <laughs> you know, it's comedy, and I think we should be, you know, 
none of us are happy. And, um, and, but neither are plumbers, you know. We're not special. Um, so I, yeah, I tell stories about my, my childhood, which is interesting as well. Well, I think it is, and people pay money to see it, so I keep going. Could you tell us a little bit about... I mean, I first saw you at the Edinburgh Festival in, I think, 2006. So I guess, had you won Raw and then went through to So You uh, Think yeah, You're yeah, Funny? Yeah, 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 I did. Yeah, I did was that, that. Was that the right date? You were shaking your head. Did I get the date wrong? Well, I know. Like I said, no idea how time works. So okay. that's me just going, oh, let's see if you can get this. Yeah, Some I think years so, yeah. ago. 2006, yeah. And I remember I, I, saw you, uh, I saw you doing the Map of Tassie material. Classic. Um, classic. It's classic Gatsby <laughs> bit. Um, and uh, what was your experience of becoming that comic when you first started out? What did you want from comedy? What, what drew you into it? <laughs> A friend entered me into a competition that I won and I just kept going. I'd never, uh, I'd never held a microphone before. Uh, it was, I'd never, you know, had any desire to be a performer. Um, it just seemed like a really odd thing to do. I didn't have a lot of, um, I wasn't, and I'm still not well versed in what comedy is. Like, I'm not a comedy nerd. I didn't, there's, like, I grew up in a regional town in Tasmania. Like, not, there was no circuit. Um, and my mum didn't like, com- like, she, you know, if ever a stand-up comedian got, you know, was on television, um, you know, mum would turn it off. This is like her least favourite thing, a man shouting at her and thinking he's funny. And she just, well, I've got news for him and just turn it <laughs> off. Because <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, that's what it would be, you know. There's some women apparently doing it now, but back then it was <laughs> definitely... Opinions. So let's talk then about your childhood, because some of the things I've heard you say on stage about your mother are sorts of things that I couldn't say about my mother. And I wonder... Because they're probably different people. Well... (laughs) I mean, that is indubitably the case. But you are very... Your comedy, I think, is quite brutal to you. And to the people around you, I think. The subject matter is brutal. The, the, the things that you're talking about are brutal. And you are brilliant at finding the humour in pain. Your show, Nanette, that you're doing at this festival at the moment, that I've, I haven't been able to see because we clash here, but I've listened to it. I've listened to a recording of it. I don't move. It's fine. It's <laughs> yeah, I felt like I could invisit <laughs> it. There's a few facial expressions I reckon would have added to it, but other than that. But that piece of material is an incredibly powerful hour that is like, I think it's like listening to someone howl whilst proving their point, whilst being funny. I think it's an incredible piece of work. Howl. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because, because I think you are adept at finding humour in pain. And I think from your life as described by you on stage in, in various clips that I've seen and, and in this show, has been a painful life. Um. Yeah, yes, yeah, it has. But it's also been, like, it's been all right as well. Like, I, I had, you know, sometimes people say, you know, dysfunctional family. And I didn't really, honestly. Um, my mum is a fruit and nut bar. Um, and I'm a fruit and nut bar. Like, I'm, but we're different, different nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and so that meant that, you know, there was, you know, she was probably the worst mother for this kind of nut bar. 
but uh, over time, you know, we've, we're now we're now incredibly close. So it's sort of this thing like the the clash of the nuts, and now we're just you know, it's, it's a good brew. Um, so that's you know, so when you sort of say that it was brutal, yes, it was, but it was also wonderful. Like I had a wonderful childhood, but um, you know. Uh, so that's how I'm able to fi- find humour in it because there was real nurturing, great parenting, you know, and all this sort of stuff. But it was just the situation and the the class of you know clash of like because I have mental illness, but it's not just from trauma. <laughs> it didn't help, but uh, I have a I'm special needs. So <laughs> so that's that sort of you know that uh, is what um, sort of. It looks like I just go, this is, you know, some awful things that happened to me and that's why I, I struggle in, the, in behind the face. But really in reality it's like I was born with, you know, a particular type of brain that doesn't cope with a lot of stimulus and I was born into a world that was quite hectic and, uh, you know, into a large family with a mother with a large personality and uh, in, a, in a place where homosexuality was illegal but it was debated for 10 years. And, you know, so all these things, you know, it's all... So there's a lot going on and I think... Um, I think when you say brutal, I think also... I think you really need to... It's brutally honest. And I think, I think most people can, you know, be brutally honest. But I think that's what I bring to it is, is, is the honesty... Um, I don't, and particularly with this show, like I don't pull the punches. I think in all my shows previously, people go, "Oh gosh, you're, you know, you're so open, you make yourself so vulnerable, and you tell these really personal things." And then this year, I wrote this show, and I'm like, "Oh, the reason I didn't feel vulnerable is because I didn't finish my stories off because they they're not funny." This is this is something which we can. I want to talk to you about this, but one of the aspects is, like I said before, I don't want to give away too much about the show for people maybe at this festival or listening who haven't seen it or might have the chance to see it in Edinburgh. But one of the, one of the brilliant aspects of the writing, one of the many brilliant aspects of the writing, is you finding your way to that conclusion that when you've used material from your life in the past as, as used material from your life, as a Freudian slip, when you've used events from your life in the past as material you only told as much of the story as was funny. So how did that feel on stage when you were originally doing that material, knowing that you were concealing elements of the story because they were too painful to be funny? Did you, did you try to tell the whole story ever? Yeah, yeah, you learn pretty quick. You read the room. Uh, took one trial show. I, I, might, I might leave that out. Um, <laughs> uh, no, look, I mean, it's not just the nature of comedy. It's also the nature of memory. Uh, so every time I do that material, no, it wouldn't be a problem because memory works, you know, you, you remember something and, and the time that you remember it changes the, is the memory itself. So as I tell the material, that sort of almost became the memory. So it wasn't traumatic to stop the story. I wasn't there going, yeah, but they don't know. Like it's sort of like, well, here it is. This is the story as it goes. Um, and it sort of, sort of almost became the story, which in a way helped until, you know, you realize you haven't dealt properly. So that's the, never really occurred to me that I was, um, hiding something. I was just, you know, I, people paid tickets. I, you know, I shouldn't punch them in the guts. Um, but I'm quitting. So I thought, fuck it, I'll leave them with a gut punch. (laughs) 
So this is Hannah, ladies and gentlemen. As I said, her show is going to be at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So if you're going to be at Edinburgh, then uh, do go along and see Nanette. I'm not sure of her um, uh, venue or the rest of it, but Google is your friend, of course. Or indeed Bing, <laughs> or any of the other ones. Uh, what's, the, what's the good with, like, duck, is it DuckDuckGo is the one that doesn't track your every move? Um, so this is, uh, this is Hannah. More from her in a moment, and uh, we will get into that. I've got a, a listener email, a couple of bits and bobs, and later I'll remind you at the end of the episode about the Jeremy Hardy and Joe Brand live episodes of this podcast, uh, which are going to be happening at Soho Theatre. So I'll give you the ticket link for those at the end. Melbourne's going great. Um, could you do me a little favour? Uh, I did a little update where I mentioned this last week, um, but this is uh, now we're back into proper episodes. Could you do me a favour? I've basically got a clip of my work at the, the gala that I did, and it's so difficult to get all of the stars to align in terms of writing you're happy with, a performance you're happy with, shot well, in a big, big room with a couple of thousand people, and the gig going really well. So I'm really proud of this little clip. I'm sharing it a lot on my uh, my Facebook Facebook comedy fan page, which is Stuart Goldsmith Comedy. So if you go to facebook.com slash Stuart Goldsmith Comedy or just search for my name on Facebook and click like on the fan page and share that clip around the place, that would be great. Loads of you have been sharing it. I really appreciate that. It's starting to tip over into people I don't know sharing it. But to get through that initial level of it's just a couple of people you know and break into, as it has just started to happen, people I don't know tagging other people I don't know and saying, hey, check this out just to kind of get above the clouds you need to have rather more likes on the page than i currently have there's something like two and a half thousand likes on it which is a nice a very generous and, and happy amount but uh, very grateful to everyone that's clicked like on it but it's sort of at the same time in the grand scheme of things it's not very much i haven't been prioritizing it as part of any sort of social media strategy um, i'm just trying to be a bit more on that now it strikes me as uh, this show this podcast my work it's all sort of at a level now i, I think when social media started to come in start i mean i've been doing comedy long enough that i was doing it before there was social media that's nuts but i suppose when it started to happen i was always a bit eggy about using it because i knew at the time i wasn't ready for the world to see me well come on we're years in now i've really got to adjust the way i think about all of this stuff uh, and and prioritize actually making stuff discoverable i i get i get frequent emails from those of you telling me that i you know who are into these things saying oh you could be doing this differently you could be tagging that differently you could be doing this more and a lot of the time it just batters over me. I'm going to try and turn that around now. And the first step of the way is if you could click like at Stuart Goldsmith Comedy on Facebook or indeed go to youtube.com forward slash comcompod and you can share that clip around and subscribe to that as well if you please. Uh, that's where you'll get various bits of, uh, uh, you'll get the audio from these episodes discoverable on YouTube and uh, I'll be putting stand-up clips there, uh, up there as well as and when they happen. So do me a favour. That's one of the favours you can do me. The other, of course, is alluded to by... Uh, a lovely listener, Matt, who came to see the show in Melbourne, and uh, this is what he said about it. I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs of this email because it's so pleasing. Matt says, I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed your show on Thursday. I recently moved to Melbourne after living in the UK uh, for five years and was disappointed to be leaving without actually getting a chance to see you perform, so it was great news to hear you were coming to Melbourne. Thank you, Matt. Very kind of you to say so. So good to see you actually do stand-up for the first time after listening to so many hours of the pod. I've recommended it to a bunch of people. It was genuinely 
genuinely one of the most well-crafted hours of stand-up I've ever seen. It was inspiring and also baffling as to how you could be producing stand-up of that quality and not be a total superstar. Screw you, Matt. I am a total superstar. <laughs> but I, I get where you're coming from. Believe you me, but Matt, I'm also baffled. He says, surely only a matter of time now. I will continue to give you my £2 a month donation even when you're selling out Wembley, just for old times' sake. And I don't know if this is deliberate, but he spelled it Wembley as if it's being chanted. So that is very kind of you, Matt, on all levels. If you would like to join Matt in subscribing with a £2 a month donation, uh, or indeed a one-off donation of, for example, 20 quid, or whatever you think is appropriate, you can do that at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate, and you can follow everything I'm up to via various pages at comedianscomedian.com forward slash extras. You can download extra material from various episodes forward slash shop. You can get hold of a couple of my stand-up comedy albums, which are also brilliantly crafted and will baffle you as to why I am not even more of a global superstar than I am, uh, as well as downloading some free bits and bobs there as well. So head to comedianscomedian.com for all of that stuff. Um, yes, I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit more about Jeremy Hardy and Joe Brand coming up to, to titans of the UK comedy circuit um, at the end of this episode. Uh, but for now, that's all I'm going to tell you. Uh, if you are in Melbourne, do get yourself to see Nanette and uh, do come along and see my show compared to what, which is every night but Monday at the Greek Centre. Details from comedyfestival.com.au. Let's get back to this conversation with Hannah Gans. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. So to use as an example, because we were talking about your mother... One of the most striking bits of material that I'd heard in, in sets that you've done that I've seen on YouTube is this idea that when you, when you came out to your mother, she resisted and she said, why would you tell me that? <laughs> what, how, about, how would you feel if I told you I was a murderer? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Oh, well, yeah, good. So good. good. And very no, but also too. it was better because, <laughs> and I leave it out again because, you know, she waffles on because she was clearly trying to, Tell me what the worst thing she could think of, you know. Not, and then she thought, no, it shouldn't be the worst thing I can think of. So she backtracked a bit and said, what if I told you I was a murderer or, or, or a robber? Like, and that just makes me laugh. That's robber. <laughs> Burglar mum. It's robber. And, and what she was implying was, why are you telling me that you are something that's illegal? No, it's basically... You know, it's part, it's a it's a cl- classic homophobic uh, idea where people who don't want to be homophobic go. You know, they say these things as a, you know, no, I don't have a problem, but it's none of my business. 
which it actually is <laughs> because, you know, then I have to do a lot to hide myself and that's exhausting and it makes me feel less than. So it is homophobic, but the, the idea is, look, I don't, want, I don't want to be challenged by what you are because I love you, so don't tell me. So that's what that was, and I understand that. But at the time, of course, I didn't because I was a child. Well, not a child, but, you know, I was, you know, in my early 20s, you know, and I'd been raised in a homophobic situation. I was homophobic. So, of course, I'm like, I read that. of like, of course you don't want to know. I don't want to be. I don't want to know this. I hate myself too. So I couldn't read that she still loved me because I hated myself. So it's this sort of circle, like, there was... You know, and that's the problem I have with these debates where people say, you know, it's so, so divided. So, di- you know, there's a dichotomy where if, you're, if people are opposed to you, there's no recovery. There's no connection. There's like, you're a homophobe, you're an idiot, you're hor- And I'm like, I always think, what do you expect from that? If you shout at someone who's a bigot, you're a bigot, what is the outcome? What is the, what is the constructive part of that? Con- there is no constructive part of that conversation. So you're a bigot and you're like, you're right, I am. I bet I'm going to change. I want to be more like you and just yell at people I disagree with. Like it's just, it's just not giving any room. And the thing about the debate in Tasmania is that people who had strongly opposing views had to live with each other. And they had to talk to each other and they had to buy milk. You know, like you just like, you'd be at the pub and just like have this, you know, sometimes violent argument about these politics. And the next day you had to work and live and move amongst these people. And it sounds awful, but it's better than what's happening now because nobody is looking anybody in the eye with opposing views and so they're dehumanising it. And so I feel quite strongly about finishing the stories off because my mum was a homophobe and I know more than anyone how hard it is to take, to, you know, de-homophobe yourself because I was homophobic and I had... The, the most reasons not to be. So I know how hard it is to turn these cultural constructs around. Um, so just by yelling at people, you know, oh, you, you're dumb and ignorant, and then broadcasting their, their views because it's good entertainment is just so toxic and unhelpful. From the left wing and the right wing, it's just because it's not conversation and because it's all online now, nobody's looking anybody in the eye. And it's... And now... the the story we can get from Tasmania is that's what happened. People had this horrific, and it was horrific as a child to witness it because it did so much damage to me, but in the end, we have the best human right protection laws in Australia now. We have the best attitude toward gay uh, rights because we did it as a, you know, a community, a small island a community, and then people went through this trauma and thought, we don't want to do that again. But nobody hears that story about Tasmania because they're too busy going, gosh, weren't they backwards? Mm. Weren't they inbred? And that's, that's all I ever heard as a kid is like Tasmanians are dumb and stupid and ignorant. But they're, they're, they're just like the, the dream hipsters now. Like, like I grew up, you know, I ate organic vegetables that my dad grew. He had a beard. Mum made all of our clothes. Like, fuck them. Um, <laughs> it's called being poor, you pricks. And, um, <laughs> you know, we were good people. Like, and my, my, my parents gave me absolutely no reason to doubt their, you know, their love and their consistency and structure as parents, except for that one thing. And that devastated us. That almost tore us apart. And that's not our fault. That's the conversation that the culture put up, the world around it. And we survived it. 
And that, uh, you know, that's just like, that's actually a really important story to tell. And comedy doesn't give the room for that story because look how earnest it is. But you know what? Fuck it. Because it's a positive story. It has, gives room for people to imagine, like, I would rather, you know, slowly adjust and learn. But there's no, there's just shut down. There's call out culture. People shut people down. I'm not going to listen to you. That, that word you used was transphobic. That word you used was homophobic. It's like, yes. But everyone's just, you know, people are reactive and they shut down listening because people make mistakes. People do make mistakes because that's the only way you learn. It sounds like those conclusions are pretty hard won from the last 10 years of participating in the discourse. So For 20 years. 20 years. Well, because it was 10 years when I was a kid. And then that was 97 they changed the laws, not sure. 1997, so I can't do maths. But it's been a long time. Okay. I'm nearly 40. I don't know. In terms of your stand-up practice, when you – I feel like over the, the different gala spots of yours that I've seen, those little – those moments where you have the opportunity to speak to, as you put it, in I think 2012, people – I'm in people's faces. I'm in, I'm in the living rooms of people that hate me. And that's an incredibly good set. And it's really confronting – and I was interested to see how your practice as a stand-up, and obviously these are tiny moments from, from the longer shows you've been doing, how your practice as a stand-up moved from being someone who was telling jokes about yourself and being the butt of jokes about yourself to being someone who was participating in that attempt to look people in the eye, to look an audience in the eye, and with humour, try to... Well, obviously try to make people laugh first and foremost, but also try to actually change people um well it, it just wasn't a practice of stand-up I don't, i'm not a performer you know basically i have a think for a year and my show is this this is what i've thought about um so and i don't have a, you know i'm there's no not a lot of construct around you know there's not a lot of filters and that's why performance is not actually great for me because i don't have this protection i don't protect myself maybe some performers it's like that is a persona but I'm, and it's part of my appeal, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm very real on stage. And that's because, uh, like, I'm shit uh, at performing. I'm just, I am, I, you know, I am, I'm authentic. And um, so it's I, I don't it's want to process. let that go unchallenged. I don't want to interrupt you. But, yeah, but you just did. No, uh, I don't think I did, but now I'm interrupting you. You just interrupted me with a... I don't oh, no, want no, no. to interrupt you. Sure. Sorry. I thought when you said you just did, you were referring to me letting it go unchallenged. Obviously, I did just interrupt you. I'm sorry. Let's put a pin in that concept of you not being a performer and come back to it because I would suggest you are a, an excellent performer and your ability to be vulnerable is the type of performance. No, I'm just not scared. So I'm not performing. I'm not going, you know, I'm not, I'm just like, I don't give a shit. Like there's nothing an audience can do or say to me that hasn't been done to me more violently or more hum- humanely, like, you know, like, I'm not scared, that's what it is. And I speak very softly, so I find the microphone quite helpful as well. But, um, <laughs> so, and also, so the, the, my practice of stand-up basically has just evolved because I've evolved. Because having, you know, I found, you know, with, as I've stepped up and, you know, found success, I've also found confidence and I found you know uh, solidified my my sense of self and so you went I went from self-deprecating to just like yeah you're not much chop yourself um but it's always still because 
you know, self-deprecation is a very important part of likability. But it's also for someone on the margins, it's a very important part of survival. And I call that out in this show. It's like self-deprecation is an apology. And in, in I shouldn't have to do that. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I do a little bit. I do say sorry, but it's in, I'm trying not to say sorry. So when you... You're f- welcome. <laughs> when you first started performing, you were signed up for a gig with, without wanting to be? Without- well, I kind of did. Like I was... Because, you know, I was with a mate. I'd, just, I'd been working on a farm. <laughs> I'd studied art history and there were just no jobs. And... <laughs> um, oh, my sho- shoelace. Anyway, um, and I'd, I'd had an injury at work. I was planting trees and <laughs> I'd sort of torn all the... Oh, God, I'm boring myself. Anyway... No, I was, go on, I was go on. <laughs> you, you just said you tore and then you're like, no, oh, it's boring. And we're like, what did you tear? Yeah, Jesus. All of the ligaments in my wrist and I had to have it fused and so I had quite a bit of surgery. But So I was on compo but I wasn't... Didn't... Because you, when you plant trees, you, you, you earn by seedling. Each, you know, like something like five cents a seedling. Okay. I'm sure it's gone up a cent or two in the meantime. But <laughs> uh, so it's pretty, and it's pretty hard work. And I'm slow, so <laughs> I did wasn't earning a lot of money. And so when you, you know, I had the accident, this piece of machine, you just sort of flipped my hand back and did some damage. And I, I just, they go, well, you, your compost paid out from what you earned the previous week, which was my first week planting trees, which was really slow. Um, so I just hadn't, like, they're like, so you've got $72 a week to live off. And uh, I'm like, that's not a lot. And I'm not great at budgets at the best of time. <laughs> so um, I was practically homeless. I was Because it was a farm job, travel itinerant, I was living in a tent waiting for surgery. Jesus. Uh, so, and I'd forgotten. And at that stage, and this is what's really interesting about it, because at that stage I was still sort of drifting apart from my family, just going, you know, and that's the internalised homophobia I'm talking about. So I, have, I had a family, you know, and they're all, they're all good. They're on, you know, you know, they're starting their family. They're, you know, they're good, solid citizens. You know, they're what they'd call real Australia. And I didn't think to reach out to them. And then that was what pushed me. And was like, I, you know, and I said, to, you know, I finally rang my sister and said, oh, I'm, I'm having a bit of trouble. And um, so she sort of laughed on me, you know, I got, had the surgery and so I went and lived with her. And I was just hanging out with a guy, an old mate in a pub and just making him laugh, like, because, like, my life was shit. <laughs> I'd just been done for shoplifting, but I hadn't shoplifted. <laughs> I was just behaving so suspiciously in the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> because I'd just been picking stuff up and going, I don't, I don't know, putting it down, but not in the spot, just walking around going, no, I don't need that, and then putting it down over there. And I'm like, and so uh, that's where I was in life. Um, and you know, it was just, so he's just like, fuck, you're funny. You know, you need to broaden your audience. He entered me into Raw, and, you know, I just kind of went on to win it. <laughs> And when you, so when you prepared to go on stage, had you written, had you written stuff down or had you just had an idea of a thing you might no, say? No, at that stage what? I was wrote, writing things down, yeah. But it was also around material that I'd been saying for years, you know, because it's, it was all around, 
you know, the main Tasmanian stuff was all the stuff I'd developed when I'd first moved to the mainland, you know, because they're all the jokes that I'd always heard about how stupid Tasmanians were. So I'd just say them before them and more charmingly and so then people would stop expecting stuff from me. So, you know, my first five minutes was old rope. When did you first feel like you were onto something? Was it the first gig? Did you feel like this this could be an important part of my life? How early on did that? No, I think it's really hard for me to probably assess it honestly because often I have to remind myself just how unable I was to think about my future. And that's like I did because that, you know, my self-esteem was so low that I thought I don't have a future. So it wasn't like, oh, this is, I'm onto something. This could be my thing. It's like, well, I'll do that again. And it wasn't, it was probably, you know, I think it's when my, you know, I got representation that I thought, oh, this feels better. I think I'll do, this is what I'll do. And do you feel or did you feel more powerful on stage or more vulnerable? Neither, neither, neither. I felt connected. To? The world, other people. Because, you know, I was very disconnected because it's like, you know, as you'd imagine, I don't think I have to, I don't think I have to explain that. So (laughs) to be in a room full of people and say something and they respond, you just, I feel connected. So I I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it to any plus or minus, like powerful or vulnerable. It's it's actually, I felt like part of the world, I think, which I guess that made me more, I I wouldn't use the word powerful, but it was good. It was a nice feeling. And did you feel more connected the more laughter you got? Was there a sort of scale like that? Or did you feel the simple act of speaking to people? Like, would you, when you had a good gig, what metric would be, would make it good for you? People laughing meant that they liked me. Like people don't, you know, you don't laugh at people. Well, you do, but not in, (laughs) that's school. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah, so it is like the laughter is the measure, but also it's, um, to the respect, because I've always been someone who uses silence in the show and also, so I, I use that also, so that's a measure of respect when people can hold my pauses and give me the respect, you know, to, to wait it. Um, and it's respect and trust. So also that's the quality of the silences that I, uh, wanted was also part of what I valued and what you said before about being a not being a good performer do you I mean you must recognize that you have an ability to perform that 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 n- oh yeah that- I'm not no no yeah absolutely but it's not like you have no idea how casual I am before I walk on stage like it's just there's no change from when I walk on and off, like it's, and you know, I, I'm not saying it's like, you know, how cool am I? Like I am aware that it's weird. Um, and I feel, I feel sometimes I've pretended to be nervous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to, to, talk to me about that. What do, to who? To who? For whom? <laughs> you talk about the galas, you know, <laughs> backstage, you know, there's all these comics just going, you know, oh, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead inside. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's really, oh, it's really. 
Um, I get, in fact, I think what I experience is post-show nervousness. Not about how did that go. I experience the sort of nervous sort of, you know, feelings after the show. I get a bit like, you know, like, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm nervous after. Yeah, so it's a, but that's a, that's a life lived under stress. So clearly my central nervous system is a bit... But my empathy's there because I pretend to be nervous amongst other nervous <laughs> So when you're, say you're four or five years into your career and you're motoring along, the, you're doing festival shows, you're starting to develop an audience. Something I've heard you say in the past is that you, you're sort of surprised by how accessible you are because you've, you've picked up an audience that is like you're not a niche comedian. You've got a, you've got a following that is, I think, for someone of your sexuality, you're very accessible. You'll have straight white men come and see your shows rather than... Yeah, I think it's, um, it's beyond sexuality, though, for me as well, because I understood why I had such a quick start, a quick run, because, you know, comedy is about disruption. Basically, there's expectations, and they're not met. That's funny. Um and so when I, you know, wander onto stage, you know, I'm this slow-moving, fat lesbian from Tasmania. So people go, okay, let's, you know, it's those quick, quick judgments that you put together there. And it's like, okay, fat, we well, must be stupid because you just don't remember to stop eating. And then um, it's just that's what people do. Trust me, um, they think you, you think because they, they also think that you know fat people de- are deaf. Um, so that, and then, you know, slow moving in Tasmania, you're not getting stupid backwards, you know, that sort of stuff. And uh, lesbian, oh, you're angry. And I'm just none of those things. You know, I'm, I'm really, really intelligent. Uh, I'm really softly spoken. I'm really gentle. I'm not angry. I'm confused. You know, so that's why I had early success because immediately I was funny because people were like, yep, clock this, fucking what? Um, what even is that? And so that's what it is, you know, this this quiet charm that I have. So that's um, it's a lot of stuff I just said there to a question I don't remember. I think all I was talking about accessibility. Ah, yes. So, but um, so it's all those things that make me accessible. It's the I'm disarming, um, but it does surprise me because. Um, The more I've gone on, the less punches I pull when I do, you know. And I have been, I have been sort of, you know, I was once in Tasmania, back in Tasmania, and two things happened in the same, you know, within a matter of days that sort of just confused me, but that often happens for different reasons. But, um, one guy in a pub just started, you know, doing, you know, sort of really having a go at me for, you know, not being properly feminine. And I was with a bunch of other comedians were doing a roadshow thing and they just sort of stepped in and moved on and it was fine. And I was, I didn't feel unsafe. I felt humiliated because I thought, oh, I thought I'd done all this work to stop that. But then the next day I was walking down the street and it was, uh, and this, this guy, the type of guy I don't, I don't trust, you know, has that energy, big energy and, you know, aggressive, you know, uh, you know, angry at the world kind of guy and he just came up to me and with he had an opinion and he's just like 
you're that comedian. I'm like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> he goes, I fucking love what you do. You're so powerful. The stuff around mental health, it's so important. Fucking keep it up. Like he was just bogan as it comes. I'm like, thank you. I will. I will. I won't stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, so that's more the surprise that I have that it's, you just can never tell. Like, and the, the guy that was being awful to me was a, was a drunk white color, color guy, collar, white collar guy. Um, <laughs> white white colour man. <laughs> he was that as well. <laughs> so your your vulnerability on stage, or if not if vulnerability, isn't the word. You're you're not vulnerable, but your your openness. You used a word to describe it earlier on, which I've forgotten. I'm afraid. Your, Honest. Your honesty on stage, which is magnetic to an audience. I not think <laughs> to an audience yet. Not on one on one. You should have seen us before. Um, he's like, I'm going to move over here. It's a magnet joke. But that's... So glad I'm not the only person that didn't immediately get that. I'm not always good. (laughs) The honesty that you employ on stage, you're not employing, you're just being honest. Like you said, you walk on your... I meant to ask about your... um, the development of your voice. Comedians often talk about finding their voice on stage... Is that a process that you went? Was there any honing between the you from the word go and the you that walks on stage 10 years later? Just me evolving as an, an adult human. As that's what the change is. They said that, you know, when they said that, it was like, you know, 10 years you find your voice. That's what they've, and it's 10 years now for me and I'm quitting because I've found my voice. Don't need it anymore. Don't need your coaching anymore, comedy audiences. Um, and I, I have found my voice, but it's not the comedic voice. I'm, I'm taking this, I'm this voice in the world, do you know? So it's not, I don't feel like I found, because I had my comedic voice the moment I walked on stage. I was good, you know, because I'd been honing it for 10, you know, 10, 20 years anyway. So uh, I've got a much a different comedic voice than I had then. Uh, yes, and it's taken me 10 years to get this, but I think it's also, it's, you know, I have self-esteem now. So if the, the engine beneath it is the self-esteem, what kinds of visible changes are there in, in that actual voice that we see on stage? As you, as you visible well, changes in my voice. Yeah, in your, well, in your persona. The difference between watching, you, watching a video of you 10 years ago and watching you now, what differences are there to you? What, what differences do you identify in what we receive as an well, audience? Well, one thing hasn't changed. I don't watch videos of myself. Could you uh, hypothesise? I make more of an effort to dress well. Why? Um, well, you know, I think it's a nice effort to make people. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't actually think I understand your question. I mean, uh, if the difference in your voice between 10 years ago, say, and now is the difference in your own life, your own voice, because of your self-esteem. Mm. What would an audience see as that a difference? Would, would an audience recognise that you have more self-esteem or would I they see so. different elements You've of what it is? You've seen a lot, haven't you? Have everything, yeah. I can clock shorts in the fucking front row too. This <laughs> it's really annoying. <laughs> so now you're a reviewer and I'm like, what's she doing in the front row? I, know you, I don't know if you're reviewing anyway. Yeah, you're, I know you're a fan as well. Everyone's a fan, aren't they? Um, no, sorry, I'm, I don't mean that. Um, but how would you say then? Let's because I'm not clearly not great at self-assessment here. Very strong and powerful. Very 
Very straight. <laughs> You're not a fan. <laughs> when when I started? No, no, no. no. Because like I said, what I am off stage is what I bring on stage. So it's not – so it's – like I just don't think I have an answer beyond like I have more confidence. But you can't just – I'm not a different person. So the honesty that you have on stage – if you are in, in previous shows, you're someone who comes on stage, talks about your life, and one of the, the, the features of your act, one of the features of yourself that is, that is so uh, engrossing for an audience is your honesty and your, I mean, as well as, you know, let's not just pretend it's all about that. You're a brilliant joke writer. You've written some fantastic jokes. You're very good at finding It's okay, the f- I'm fine. My self-esteem's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting thing. Like, I think... I'm paying you compliments, and it's interesting that you would joke about being paid a compliment. No, you're justifying a compliment that you thought perhaps you'd missed. And I'm like, you don't have to do that. I know I'm good at jokes. It's fine. Okay. So what I wanted to ask was about, in terms of, your, in terms of the show Nanette, when you seem to have approached that show from the point of view of, that's it, fuck it, I'm out. Now I can say what I want. Or not, it's not quite, it's something, my question is something to do with that. You always said what you wanted, and yet you seem to be saying what you want with this show in a different way, in an even more honest way. Because uh, that comes down to less about me and more my, what I don't think comedy can provide me, and that is the, the pressure to leave with a laugh, you know, to tell a story around the idea of, of jokes. Um, I believe is an inefficient form of storytelling. So <laughs> it puts the focus on the wrong, it, it, by ness, you know, it puts the focus on the wrong part of the story. Stories need catharsis, and catharsis isn't funny. Uh, you know, trauma is funny. You know, these things are funny. Uh, and by not finishing the stories off, um, I found the creative part of it lacking. So that's what's changed, is that now I, you know, here's all the jokes, I've got all the jokes you need, but this is my world view. And, you know, I don't think you can have a world view that's positive in this world. Like, shit needs to change. So you, comedy's not going to accommodate that, is it? Comedy's not going to accommodate a constructive worldview because it stops for laughs. So does this open the door for you to come back to the festival next year with a storytelling show that isn't a comedy show? I mean, do you, do you anticipate... I mean, loopholes, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> but do you, do you anticipate continuing to be an artist but not a comedian when you say you're stopping? Um, I don't anticipate a lot. You need, that's why I've had the life I've had, because I don't, I'm not good at working out what the effect of stuff is. I haven't thought a long way forward. Like I said, I'm honest. Like, I'm honest, I have to stop doing this because it's not helping me evolve as a human. So it seems that there are, that there are two. Are you doing career planning for me now? Is it, so you're trying to help me out? What, what no, no, I'm, I'm trying to unpick <laughs> the decision to stop. It sounds to me like it's from coming from two places. One, that you're frustrated with the inability 
of the art form of comedy to articulate the the things that you want to articulate and that you are also i mean you talk in the show about comedy just frustrating your anxiety or, or, or yeah, generating that's a, anxiety that's a really important point too because also the lifestyle of comedy doesn't suit me is i don't cope well in new environments and new situations uh which is constantly what i have to do in comedy and you know i, I mean i've missed so many flights in the last year like travel is ex- you know leaving the house is ex- you know it's a tough job for me um i got dogs to help me get out of the house um and then they want to be fed and I have to have food for them. Like, it's big job, big job. I'm, they're still alive. I'm doing a really good job. Um, but, yeah, so it's not a lifestyle that suits some, you know. Like, it's not an ind- – you know, it's an industry that means you have to be – you have to have a lot of, you know, strength. And I've got a lot of strength, but it's not the, it's not the kind of strength that flourishes – you know, in order to have the kind of strength I have, uh, you have to dilute it in order to have the kind of strength that this industry demands. I don't quite understand what you mean. It means in order for me to maintain a comedian's lifestyle, I have to stop being vulnerable. And, you know, I have to really, I have to toughen up. I have to, you know, I have to do all these sorts of things. I have to not do the things that nurture my kind of creativity, which is things like consistency, routine, gardening, those sorts of things. In order to fly, you know, in order to keep to being a comedian, I have to stop doing the things that give me the time and the mental health to have the kind of deep thoughts that make me a distinctive voice. So with this show being, I mean, there's a lot of excitement about the show. Not from me, is there? Look at me. There's, I've, <laughs> I've heard a lot of people talking about the show. I've yeah. been listening for it, but I've also been hearing it. And if this show where you have kind of said goodbye to comedy, if that has given you, or has that, has that given you, uh, has it been enjoyable to make this show, given that you know, it's all like all bets are off, you're out as soon as this is done. What's that aspect of the creative process like, knowing that you don't need to write one next year? This is all you need to say. Look, I'll be perfectly honest, it started out as a theatrical device that I very quickly committed to because I realised it was the right... But it doesn't fit me because that's not the main point of this show. The things that I'm saying in this show are what occupies my mind. That's why I'm not thinking about, oh, gosh, what, what will I do next year? Because, you know, the show I, the show I feel uh, is bigger than me. It's not, you know what I mean? Like, it's a deeply personal show, but I'm showing how, you know, someone on the margins has the same kinds, uh, you, know, you know, struggles of humanity that everyone has. And so uh, that's what occupies my mind about the show, not like, well, what do I do next year? You know, I've been homeless. I'm fine now. Yeah, this is going to be fine. I'll do something. When you say it started as a theatrical device, what do you mean? Well, uh, just sort of like it, well, it started as a throwaway line I did. Because, <laughs> you know, in my mind I'm like, oh, you know, I need to prepare because I need to prepare the audience for what I'm about to do because what I do is technically unfair. As people come to a comedy show open you know i've set up 
and particularly me, my audience, they trust me. You know, I'm, I've taken care of them, taken them dark places, but I've always taken care of them. And I don't take care of them in this show. So it started off as a theatrical device, uh, you know, device to sort of at the top of the show set it up as that. It's like, it's to, you know, like, so don't, you know, I know this is not right. This is why I'm quitting kind of thing. So, but, uh, you know, it, uh, my, th- my, like I said, my theatrics always then just come back to that's the right thing. So, so yeah. when you've heard yourself saying, I'm stopping, yeah. you, that confirmed it for you. It felt good to say that. Yeah. Felt real good. <laughs> so if this show at which you, you as a person who functions through honesty and vulnerability, as a performer who functions through honesty and vulnerability, if this is your most on- honest and vulnerable show, if this becomes your most successful show... When you do this at Edinburgh, when you do it here, if you start to win awards for it, if, it, if people go nuts for it, will that kind of confirm to you that you've done the right thing by stopping? Or will that make you think, you know, you maybe actually approaching a creative process with the attitude of this doesn't matter because I'm stopping is a really creative way for you to work? Well, I think there's two th- two thoughts come to mind. First of all, it'll just confirm that I've made the right decision because it's you know like um, you know people are like it's it's a fully evolved show from a you know it's the it's the only show I could have written. If anything, if I was going to you know continue doing comedy on any level, I, what I would do is I'd like to help um, nurture a, a more diverse sort of situation of voices. It's very white. You know, comedian. it's very important to be self-deprecating as a comedian, but there's not a lot of comedians from struggle town. There's just not. Um, because it's a real indulgent thing to do. And you have to have a safety net. My safety net was, couldn't <laughs> get any worse. Um, but... You know, blessed was my white skin, but it's there's not a lot of diversity in in um, in comedy. And I am, I'm I'm a feminist in that I don't believe in equal rights. I believe in well, I don't sorry, but we're, <laughs> and that's I mean, what we've got time for. <laughs> Fuck them. Uh, no, I I believe that if you have a platform and you find yourself in a situation of power, which is what I have done, then it's my responsibility to then help people who don't. So yeah, I don't see my success of this show as anything other than like right people are ready to actually hear stories and feel like you know, go on a journey from people that they don't, they don't know my experience. I've told them and it's impacted people. So I think we need to hear these stories. We need to nurture talent that comes from places that most comedians don't come from. Does your... I uh, hate my, like that, what a wanker. But yeah, I'll, I'll nah, keep that in. <laughs> but... Oh. How would you go about that? What sort of thing when, when you're know. talking about nurturing well, diversity? I touch them. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't know. I don't know. But it, it's just, I, you know, 
I believe that there are people with talents that could, you know, connect with my voice that can create platforms. You know what I mean? You know, I can't do anything on my own. I'm really bad at stuff, but I have really good ideas. So I guess that's what's going to have to happen. I don't know how that happens, but, um, you know, it has to happen. And I, I do my best to help it. Something I didn't ask you before. Are you okay if we? (laughs) Are you okay to field a couple of questions from the audience? (laughs) Yes, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got three or four minutes uh, left. I should have prepped you for this before, and I didn't. (laughs) If anyone uh, has a question for Hannah, feel free to ask it. I'll need to repeat it for the sake of the recording. Normally, I'd say this in advance so that we don't have a slightly eggy pause now while everyone goes, "Oh, I hadn't thought of anything." So, I'll ask another question while you have a quick thought, and then we can fractionally overrun. How's that? Does your art meet your ideals? My microphone just met my face there. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a no? (laughs) Oh, sorry. Um, Oh, no, because, I mean, I don't... I'm... I don't... I'm constantly assessing, reassessing, always assessing my ideals and things, so... I feel like, yeah, it's given it a nudge. I don't know. Are you, are you, are you satisfied with this show? Does this show oh, say everything right. that you want this show to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really, really satisfied. I'm really proud of this show. It must be, I would imagine, a painful process to perform the show every night. Yes and no, because... It is. I have to really look after myself. I have, this, you know, I have to really make sure that I take care of myself in this show because I'm not. I don't manipulate the audience. I feel all of it on stage as it happens. But like what I said earlier, what I found as a wonderful thing about being on stage and performing is that it is connecting me to the world. And what this show, performing this show, has done is. You know, me revealing these really traumatic moments that have just either isolated me or perpetuated my isolation. I'm now saying on stage in a form of connection. And so that's actually a, you know, a really wonderful, uh, empowering thing to do for myself. Basically, it's really advanced, uh, therapy. But also from all the, you know, responses I've got from people, um, it, like I said, it's bigger than me. Like I'm saying things to people who are, you know, their own experiences, they're not heard. And then, you know, they don't, like some of them said, I, I didn't realise that was, that's what I thought, but that's what I thought, that's how I feel. You know, like I, um, so no, like I said, the fact that it is connecting me and it is, I hear, you know, I get messages from people who've, you know, had similar isolation issues. That's like it's it's good. It's good. It's made me feel not like powerful is a weird word, but it's made me feel like I'm I'm being constructive, and I feel proud of that. Thank you. That's kind of an excellent place to end, and we but have we're literally now one question, minute. Question, don't we? If anyone has a question, <laughs> it sort of would be better if no one had. Ugh. Sorry, I'm joking. <laughs> Go ahead. Just a quick one. Well, that again is I'm not acting when I act. I play. You referring to please like me? Yeah, I, I'll remind you. I played a fat, depressed lesbian called Hannah. 
There's not a lot of roles out there. <laughs> I didn't even get like a, a walk-on spot on Wentworth. Like they're not. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in thanking the brilliant Hannah Gadsby. So that was Hannah. I I enjoyed that enormously. That wasn't the easiest interview I've ever done, not just due to the the complexity of some of the material, the emotional weight of some of the the things we were talking about. Um, I think I was on the back foot for a lot of that interview, as you probably heard, um, but I'm really proud of it. I think we got some really good substantial stuff out of that so thank you very much to hannah for coming along thanks to everyone here at live nation as well i'll do a proper when i finish the uh, the, the run proper i'll do a proper thank you shout out and um, but thanks for tom to coming along gabe who teched that episode daryl as ever who's putting it together for us um and uh, also a celebrity comedian pal of mine who was in the in the room thanks to you um also coming up at soho theater on the 8th of may when i'm back in the uk after only another two weeks from now i'll be back it seems nuts if we survive the the journey back and jet lag baby stage two um 8th of may is jeremy hardy and the 5th of june is joe brand those will conclude the the run of live podcasts at the soho theater you can get your tickets for those at sohotheater.com and you can get a cheeky discount if you use the the code phrase vera capital letters v-e-r-a that's all of that stuff stick around for the post amble if you like and look here's a cheeky little ad at the end uh, which I, I don't normally do unless it's the right uh, the right um, product and the right wadge of cash I've, I've done only four i think proper this isn't a paid one this is a favor to a pal um, whose name whose name you won't know but whose voice you'll be intimately familiar with the lady who says this is a podcast from comedianscreedian.com at the end of every one of these episodes at the beginning of every one of these episodes almost everyone not all of them in the early days um is uh, my lovely friend kim and her brother rob is doing a kickstarter uh, for a watchmaking business it's called clock k-l-o-k have a look at kickstarter if you're a kickstarter person these are really nicely designed watches they look great i haven't been given one i'm just doing kim a favor basically by telling you about this but i've looked at it and they look they do genuinely look fantastic so uh, if you would like if you're a, if you're a kickstarter fan if you're one of those kickstarter accounts people that like to help other people make things happen this looks like it's worth your time k-l-o-k clock watches on kickstarter have a little search of that that's all from the episode proper if you stick around for the post amble i will talk to you in just a moment bye for now Oh, hello, everybody. I feel like it's been a good few weeks since I did a proper post amble. I'm not going to go on forever, but there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about. I think what I do normally in this bit is talk about anything I'm struggling with. And the truth is, it's all going pretty well at the moment, as you can imagine. I mean, I don't know if you picked up from from last week's mini pod. I won Best New Show at the Leicester Comedy Festival for the show that I'm taking to Edinburgh this year. Um, It's not all officially... um, well, the show itself isn't finished, as you'll as you'll remember. Um, you know that was that was Leicester. That was what was it, February or something? So it was a new stuff from Notes with loads of bits and bobs, and all of the stuff is now better. I've been running it in at odd little spots and stuff at Melbourne, and of course, if you come to see the the live tour, uh, which oh god, I haven't even mentioned that again. I'll I'll tell you a bit more about that in a sec. Um, 
if you were coming to see the, the, the live tour, if you've seen that before I, before I left for Australia, uh, you will have seen in the second half, uh, often, if there was the opportunity for a second half, um, it, it's that, it's that stuff. So all of the stuff about the manticore and the food pouches and swimming, teleporting across the room, even that bit that I, I've only did it in Bristol and in Leeds about, um, uh, the bit when you, when you use your hand to close the eyes of a corpse in a film, that bit, Jesus Christ, that took the roof off again last night. So it's all, that wasn't even in the preview in Leicester. So, I mean, I'm so thrilled that a show in the in the kind of mid stages of creation and if you remember sort of september october last year i was talking to you about how as a as a test i was going to try to not write any new jokes september to december or september to november but make a note of everything i thought funny but put no pressure on myself to write and then in november i did hell week and did that that crazy kind of like just writing all day a new show writing all day refine it writing all day refine it it only ended up being three shows but i threw myself into them of course lovely kate webster came to see everyone uh, as did a motley crew of between 30 and 50 people a night the plan there was to see if i could change the way i work so that rather than living each year under the yoke of desperately having to or procrastinating from writing edinburgh writing an edinburgh show the plan was to try and not write, let the brain percolate, make notes as you go, commit to that, and then suddenly, bang, draft it all. Rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Take your foot off the gas again. Just go back to living a life. I've got to do this now. I've got a baby. This is this is the struggle, right? You know, you're trying to live as creative a life as before, as before as uh, as pre bootross Um, and blow me down. I went and won. I mean, you know, you know my feelings about nominations and awards and reviews. Listen, there's the the only reviewers that matter are the people in the show every day and what they think about it. And even if we're going to get proper zen about it, they don't matter. It's it's you're doing it for the thing itself. Um, so nonetheless, I did bloody win a thing, which is not to be sneezed at. I'm excited about that. But that is a ringing endorsement of the new way of working. So I'm really pleased I kind of took that risk. I think it's really born fruit. I think, is that a phrase, born fruit? It bears fruit. It has it has recently born. Yeah, that's right. Um, so basically, it seems to have worked. Um, I'm really, really excited about that. When I get back to the UK in a couple of three weeks' time, I will be back on tour. I'll be in Aldershot. Um, I haven't made a list of these, so I'm going to quickly flick to some sort of calendar app to try and see them. Um, but I get back. Aldershot is on the 26th of April. Uh, that's selling really well. I hope that one will sell out. I'm going to be at the, the Secret Welsh Comedy Festival with a new material, with an award-winning new material, show, no less, um, and a special episode of Redacted, which won't be... It won't be an episode. It'll be a, a non-recorded thing. So if you're at the Secret Welsh one, do jump in on that. Um, and then I'm going to be in Northampton on the 5th of May, Cambridge on the 6th. Um, I know this is a post app, but I've just remembered that I've got to tell you this stuff. Sheffield, I'm going to be at the Les Car on the 11th. That's going to be glorious. Uh, then I'm going on my stag do. And two days after my, one day after my stag do, I'm, um, I'm uh, on tour in Cardiff at Chapter uh, on the 16th. And then I'm around and about. I'm looking after the Boyle weekend while my missus goes on a hen do. And uh, I had to be in a weekend at a fantastic comedy club to do that. But it is important that it is not all about me. And then on the 26th of May, I'm on tour in Hemel at, um, at the theatre. Is it the clock? 
That's Milton Keynes, isn't it? What's it called in Hemel? The old, the town hall. The old town hall in Hemel. Brilliant. Played it last year. Fab. Then I'm at Warwick Arts Centre, which is a proper homecoming gig if you knew me in the Midlands back in the day. I'm at Warwick Arts Centre on the 27th of June. And then it's that week of Soho Theatre. It's the, the tour from the, the 29th. I hope these dates all fit up because I'm in Australia and my clock shifted forward by 12 hours. Um, but I think I'm telling you the right dates. Basically, if you recognise the name of the town and you're near the town, go and check out the dates at comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. And then it's the week at Soho Theatre. So that's all still very much happening, and not at Soho, but at most of those other dates I mentioned. In the second half, you'll be able to see that award-winning new material cockabout, which I now hopefully don't screw up by getting precious about what the stuff was that won the thing. This is how you can trip yourself up. It's my second festival here with a baby. It's my second festival with a baby. Obviously, the Boutros around was around for Edinburgh last year. And I'm seeing like a record low number of other things. I mean, it, partly that's because the way Melbourne works is shows are only in the evenings, really. But it's also partly just wanting to be a good parent rather than just go, right, you literally hold the baby and I'm going to zip around doing stuff. So I do feel a bit stretched, but... It's. Uh, I've seen some great stuff. I'm seeing Luke Heggie. Luke, he's just one of my favourite acts. I might try and get him back on the show. Um, he doesn't come to the UK, so it's it's bittersweet to talk to him. And you know, there's a, li- a limited amount that I can uh, advertise the brilliant Luke Heggie to you lot. He's just absolutely glorious. So we're, me and the missus have got a babysitter tonight. We're going to go and see Luke. I saw Erin Chen. Um, who I'm convinced is the new Matt Ewins. <laughs> he's the Australian Chinese Matt Ewins. He the first five minutes of his show, I probably slightly ruined the show because I was laughing so hard. You know that thing where someone in the audience is enjoying it so much it puts off other people in the audience? As a comedian, it's a nightmare to deal with because you can't tell someone to laugh less hard. But at the same time, I can always smell like a ripple of the rest of the crowd going, it's not that funny, and then going off the show. I don't know if I did that. My point is simply that, Jesus Christ, I was crying laughing for the first five minutes of that show. And uh, there was some brilliant, brilliant stuff throughout it. But holy hell, what an opener. Um, so I'm seeing stuff. I saw Tom Walker. He was fantastic. Um, Luke tonight. I'm going to try. I've seen Auntie Donna. You don't need me to tell you about Auntie Donna. They're going to be the, they're officially now the, um, uh, the second live podcast here on the 22nd of April. So if you are in, uh, in Melbourne, get your tickets for them. That's sort of all of it, really. I don't need to bang on any more than I have already, but, um, I really enjoyed that. I really was affected by Hannah Gadsby's show. I think she's going to storm Edinburgh this year and you should get in quick. Um, it's, it's just one of those pieces of work where a bit like Richard Gadd's show last year, when everyone just suddenly went, holy hell. And it feels like it explores the form or it does something with the form in a different way. So check out Nanette. Um, Come and see the uh, the remainder of the tour if you're listening in the UK. If you are here in Melbourne, as I am right now, come and see Auntie Donna at the Town Hall at 4.30 on the live podcast on the, the 22nd of April. And do come along to Compared to What. You can be like listener Matt, or you can be like Nikolai, who gave me a superb secret donation after the show. Uh, and someone else gave me a little uh, virch, you know, the, the inverted commas virtual merch donations we're doing. That's what the new system is called. Um, and uh, the, the cool thing he said was, get yourself an egg. Eggs are very dear to my heart, and uh, I was very pleased to get myself an egg. I think I did actually use that money to get myself uh, an egg and some smashed avo the next day. So, listen, guys, it's all going 
gloriously well i could always do with more people in here comedy will keep you humble uh, when you come to a new festival and you're like hey i don't know anyone really so thanks to the uh, the comcom fans who've been coming along to the show and thanks to everyone who's been taking a punt on it uh, if you have seen the show here and enjoyed it please do tell your friends and send people along i'm having a whale of a time and it's nice to share that with as many folk as possible and hopefully get invited back that's all from now. Um, that's all from now. <laughs> I mean, that's ac- technically accurate malapropism, right? That's all from now. God, make me one with everything. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.